Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. You're listening to The Private Collector. Hang on to your hats. Things are about to get weird. Episodes of The Private Collector are heard first and presented ad-free by supporters of the show. To support the show and get access to episodes a year before anyone else hears them, support The Wicked Library on patreon.com forward slash wicked library or through a membership at thewickedlibrary.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Private Collector, Season 1, Episode 3, See You in the Funny Papers, by Aaron Vleck. Back when I was a kid, me and my buddies felt naked without a rolled-up comic book in our back pocket. They were like gold. We were down in the dumps when we didn't have the latest issue of Action Comics. And on top of the world, when we did... We'd spend days wondering what it would be like to be the Phantom or even Superman himself. But you forget that kid stuff when the grind closes in and you leave all that behind in the hazy summer days of boyhood. When the librarian tossed a comic book in my lap one day and told me to study it closely and prepare to cross over into the truly weird places between the cracks in the world, I snorted and looked at him sideways. You're kidding, right? Come now, Mr. Enfield. He purred, like a cat when it's about to take a bite out of your hand. Do I seem like the kind of man who kids around? He had a point. 
and I hated it when he called me Mr. Enfield. Not that he ever called me anything besides Mr. Enfield, but it stiffened my backside every time. Mr. Enfield, the librarian barked, and I jumped. Are you listening? I assure you this matter is most urgent and demands your full attention. Yeah, I'm with you, I muttered. What's the caper? The caper? He asked blankly. Oh yes, the caper. Very clever, Mr. Enfield. He added, and I tossed him a weak grin. We've no time for cleverness. Now take this slender volume and read it very carefully. Return here once you've found the original and secured it on your person. I shoved the comic book in my coat pocket and readied a smart-ass comeback when everything went haywire. I looked at my hand, white-knuckled and gripping a doorknob. Then I was walking out of the men's room and that pretty young librarian was giving me a funny look. Morning, ma'am, I said with a grin. She was a real looker. I'd be trying to make time with a dame like that. But where my train was headed, there was no room for passengers. So I made for the front door, wondering what could have been. Back at the hotel, with my usual two coffees, I took the rickety elevator to my floor. It was the damnedest thing, though. I'd never seen any elevator there before. I shrugged, figuring it had been out of order, so I'd never paid any attention to it. Sitting on the bed, I took out the comic and stared at the cover. Unlike any comics I'd ever seen, there was no action shot on the cover. No square-jawed hero locked in deadly combat with the enemies of truth, justice, and apple pie. Instead, there were pyramids. Shiny black pyramids rising out of an endless sea of what looked like gray ash. The name of the comic was The Black Angle, and I'd be damned if I'd ever heard of it. I read the thing from cover to cover, and it was a weird one. I couldn't fathom any kid dropping a nickel for that mess. The panels were all filled with different views of that gray landscape and pyramids. The captions were the damnedest thing. It was nothing but a bunch of nonsense about death and learning to talk in languages no human could speak and how what ain't real can walk out of the dimensions of the black angle and on and on like that. I was about to toss it in the trash when I remembered the librarian. If he said this thing was important, then I had to take him at his word. But then I was beat, so I kicked off my shoes and stretched out on the bed. Next thing I know, I'm in my old office. But no, not my office. Everything was the same, but backwards and just not right. The colors were all wrong and the room was flat and closed in. I looked out the window to see if it was night or day. It got the shock of my life. That should have been a view of the corner of 38th and Lex. But now it was just blank. I mean, blank. Not like they put up a building and blocked the view, but blank with nothing there at all. I had about enough of this and made for the door, but tripped on something and hit the floor. I rolled over and saw a rock the size of a pillow 
painted white with the number 7 on it. I'd never seen that thing before. I couldn't cipher what the hell it was doing in my office. Getting up and dusting off my dignity, I yanked open the door and stepped into the hall, where everything was just as screwy. A bank of doors ran up and down both sides of the hall. I tried every damn one of them. They were all locked and didn't even have doorknobs. At the end of the hall, the last door was ajar. I started to push it open when I heard a woman's voice yelling somewhere behind me. No, not that door! She screamed. Come back! It was the young woman from the library. The pretty one. What? I yelled. Only, I never got to hear her answer before the door gave way, and I stumbled into that flat gray desert the black pyramids rising out of the ashes in front of me. I turned around, but the door was gone. On the ground next to my feet was another white stone, this one with a big black eight on it. Spidey was screaming like a banshee, only there was nothing I could do about it. I just stood there listening as a noise rose up out of the desert. At first, I thought it was the wind, but as it grew... It was the sound of glass shattering over and over in slow motion. Before I could get my bearings, I caught sight of movement in that half-shadow world, and then I saw it. The pyramids were shifting sluggishly as huge, jagged black shards slid off and plunged into the sand, then broke the surface again. It was spooky as hell and looked just like something I'd seen when I did a tour in the Merchant Marines up around Alaska. Icebergs, breaking up and calving. When massive chunks of ice crashed into the sea, you heard that same ear-shattering roar. What I took to be just noise, I finally realized was singing. Then the deep booming of gongs joined the cacophony. I'd heard that sound up in the frozen waste too. Ice beneath the waves, slamming into the hall. I shut my eyes and stuck my fists in my ears to keep my eardrums from bursting. And then, everything went silent. I opened my eyes, and I was sitting up in my bed, back in the hotel. I thanked whatever gods might be listening, it had only been a nightmare. I went downstairs and grabbed more coffee. As I was leaving the lobby, I spotted the girl from the library, the one who'd just put in a cameo in my dream, walking out the door. I was a mess, so I didn't stop to say howdy. Besides, I didn't even know her name. Back upstairs in my room, I studied that comic book some more, but still had no clue where to look for the original. That dream told me one thing, though. This comic was not the funnies, and I had to find it and get the thing out of circulation ASAP. I read it again cover to cover, searching for clues until the shadows began to creep across the floor. I turned on the lamp and shut the drapes, and something caught my eye. On the floor, sticking out from behind the curtain, was a white rock. This one with the number 14 painted on it. I was still dreaming. Then, I knew the score. 
I was somehow trapped in what may or may not be a nightmare about that damn comic book. And those stones were page numbers. Grabbing my coat, I went down the elevator and out onto the street. It was weird there, too. There was no sky, just a blank white plain with a cold piss-poor light that left everything in shadow. Beyond those shadows, there was nothing. That same emptiness I couldn't describe except that it filled me with a sense of horrible desolation. The whole town was a flat representation of a town, like what you'd see confined inside a single frame of a comic book. I thought about heading for the library, but figured the librarian wouldn't be in a jacked-up scene like this, and whatever might be passing for him here should be avoided like the plague. I heard a noise overhead and looked up as five crows flew north, in formation, like a flock of geese. I'd never seen anything like that before, but it gave me a measure of comfort nonetheless. I sat down on a bench in front of the hotel and tried to get my head on right. I needed to get out of this comic world and back into reality, but I was still no closer to knowing what the caper was. Why was the librarian so hot to find the original of this comic? As much as I wanted to get back to Normalsville, I wasn't going back to the librarian empty-handed. Looking back on the last few hours, everything had been crooked since I first set foot in that elevator. I went back to the lobby, and the elevator was still there. I got in, hit the button for my floor, and waited until the thing rattled to a halt. The door opened, and I was hit in the face by a blistering hot wind, blowing off the waves of gray ash. The city of black pyramids, and the cacophonous grinding and shrieking of their birthing song, roared on unchanged. Approaching the pyramids, I could see the surfaces of the monstrous things weren't solid black, but a translucent plane with things moving around inside. Another screech like whining gears rose above the din as a dozen or so shambling things, indistinct, hairy creatures of unformed flesh, poured out from between the angled points of the pyramids and their infernal offspring. One of the tusked brutes about the size of a steer turned and charged at me. Of course, the elevator had disappeared and I had nowhere to run. The creature lunged into the air at me and I steeled myself for an agonizing death impaled on those tusks. Instead, I heard the shattering of glass and then a rain of shards fell on me. The creature was gone. I looked at my feet and saw the bolt of a crossbow lying in the wreckage. I twisted around to see who'd saved my neck, and there she was, the girl from the library again, crossbow in hand. Then she disappeared like a mirage as the elevator reappeared where she'd been standing. I was finally getting somewhere, barreling headlong into it on my ass. I staggered into the elevator, pushed the button for my floor, and waited, not caring what rodeo circus might be waiting for me on the other end. When the door finally opened, 
I was in the lobby of the hotel. I took the stairs to my room, where, merciful gods, everything looked normal. After a search of the place turned up no more rocks with numbers on them, I crawled into bed and passed out. I woke up like my old self and the girl was on my mind, but not for the reasons a girl like that might be on my mind. She'd shown up twice during my trips into Shadow Lala Land, and that didn't figure. I still wasn't 100% on if that was some kind of dream or what. So I settled on, or what? Was she part of this business with a librarian? I remembered the five old geezers down by the river on the Packard case. They'd had my back, and it turned out they were in cahoots with the librarian. I wasn't exactly sure what else they might be, but those crows flying overhead near the pyramids came to mind, and I wondered. I suited up and left my room, but the elevator was gone, and only a bare wall with faded wallpaper stood where it had been. Not batting an eye at that irregularity, I took the stairs and emerged into a damn near-perfect sunny day. On my way to the library, I ruminated on how to approach the girl. I couldn't exactly open with, Hey, baby, you spend much time in a black-and-white world of glass pyramids and hairy-tusked monsters? If so, snap-snap of the fingers, thanks for the backup. That's a hell of a crossbow you got there, toots. No. That was definitely off the lineup. Besides, I didn't even know if she knew the librarian. The real librarian. The one in the wink-wink secret basement. She was manning the front desk and was alone when I walked up. Good morning, sir. She chirped, smiling in that neutral way people on the other side of desks always smile. Ma'am, I said, waiting for something jazzy to come to mind. Can I help you with something? She asked, tapping the lead of her pencil on a notepad she'd been scribbling in. Yeah, actually, you can, I said, narrowing my eyes. One, want to grab a coffee with me sometime? And two, if yes, can I get your name? Just to keep things polite and grown-up-like, I said, falling back on my usual flair with dames. She laughed and put her (laughs) hand over her mouth, remembering the place tended towards quiet. Yes, I think that sounds like fun. My name's Brenda Ward. I already know who you are, though. Everybody does. We've had a lot of fun following your adventures. You have? I wasn't sure if I liked that. Oh, yes. We don't get too many big city detectives around here. Alrighty, then. Coffee it is, I said. How's about today? Four. At the hotel. It's a date. She said, smiling. And there was a playful little twist to that smile. Okay then, I said. By the way, you got any hobbies? Sports maybe? Hunting? Crossbow? I asked, taking a big chance but hoping to hit pay dirt. Mr. Enfield, is that a leading question? No ma'am, just a question. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm the champion in crossbow for all of Columbia County. Three years running. She announced, bristling with pride. I was about to double down, see if I could get any more out of her. Maybe ask about the librarian again, when a loud crash came from somewhere, and she went flying towards the reference stacks. This left me to wander back up the hill to the hotel. Anything else I might do just now would leave me looking like a chump 
when I had a date with an elevator. The desk clerk shoved my mail in my hand with a sincere but pitying look and didn't blink an eye when I stepped into the elevator. There was a lower level button this time, so I stabbed it with the finger I usually use for grave insults and steeled myself for the worst. When the door clanged open, I was hit with a furnace gust of wind. It was pyramid land, all right, but from a different vantage point. I stood on the edge of a cliff, and the valley below teemed with an undulating black wave of glass pyramids. Across the chasm, I felt the cold eyes of another looking right through me, and it made my flesh crawl. Despite the distance, I was deadlocked eye to eye with whoever it was. The elevator was still there, its open door just waiting for the handy exit stage left. I stared hard at that door, wanting real bad to make a run for it, leave the hotel, and never set foot in an elevator again. But I didn't. It'd be easy to say those eyes had got a hold of me somehow, but I knew that was bunk. I wanted to know who was behind those eyes. Every bit of me wanted to know. There was no turning back now, no matter what happened. I was in for the duration. I figured I'd seen the last of Brenda and the librarian, the nice old geezers who worked for him, and everybody else topside in the world of the living. They say ignorance is bliss, but my insatiable curiosity wanted no part of it. Better to have lived and known stuff than to have never known, I always say. I was shaken from that line of ruminating by the eyes creeping up my backside from behind. I turned and saw a tall, pale young man in black wearing a long coat, breeches, and boots. The large black eyes swept through me like a hand sifting through water. I almost puked. He didn't even see me or rather like a cockroach running on his shoe, I was of no consequence. He flowed past me like a breeze and stopped at the edge of the cliff near where I stood. The burning winds were nothing compared to the air of ancient uncreated evil that wafted off the guy like a perfume. I was in the presence of something way, way older than man. If there really were gods, this was one of them, and the blind, mad urge to run for my life was outweighed by a desire, a craving to confront this creature, to touch it and to be known and touched by it. That was all me. No temptation there, just the same driving force that had hooked me up with Doug Cartwright and his Norland's voodoo family. The same thing that made me sign on the dotted line with a librarian. And the same damn thing that the more weird and creepy things got, the more I wanted it. Like a junkie jonesing for his next fix. As I steeled myself to confront the guy, he took a flying leap into the air and then glided down the base of the nearest pyramid. There was no way down to the valley that I could see. So I did something really stupid without even thinking. I jumped after him. Following your instincts is usually a good idea, and it paid off. 
I slowly glided to the bottom and stood at the base of the largest of the pyramids. This one had an entrance, a slice between two of its dozens of angles that was just wide enough to walk through. Inside, the thing was a house of black mirrors with faces staring at me from the other side. Revolting faces, animal faces, and lots and lots of eyes. In the center of the chamber, kneeling in the ash before a black cube altar, was the young man, his arms raised up toward what was dangling over the cube. He finished his incantations, and then stood up and walked right through the glass of the nearest wall like there was nothing there. I took a close look at what he'd been praying to. It was the same comic book the librarian had given me, only not the same. All done by hand from the look of it, but the pages weren't any kind of paper or parchment. It gave me the shivers seeing the thing just dangling there in the air. Still, every part of me wanted to grab the thing and devour it with my eyes, my mind, and whatever other parts of me were looking on, drooling. But Spidey was screaming, No! I was so wrapped up in that damn book, I didn't even notice what was closing in around me. The chamber was filling up with those tusk brutes like the one Brenda had dispatched. Like their master, they didn't even seem to notice me. I watched in complete disgust as one by one they turned human, or what could pass for human. All kids. The kind of kids who'd have a rolled up comic book in their back pocket. The gang of them started shuffling out of the pyramid. I followed them outside and saw they were headed for another elevator. Then I saw another one, and another, a whole bank of elevators opening up around the perimeter of the pyramids. In the air near the closest one was a white blotch with the number 24 on it. You didn't need to be some college egghead to see what was about to happen. If I was the only thing standing between those things and Topside, Topside was in big trouble. I had to do something, and I was still on a mission to get that comic book back to the librarian. So, I did what guys like me always do in a tough spot when unknown and dangerous characters were closing in. I pulled my 38 and started plugging the creatures, wondering in the back of my head where the boss man had gotten himself off to and why he wasn't putting up any fuss. The sound of breaking glass about drove me nuts, but I had to keep at it. If nothing else, it stopped the things from trying to make it to the elevators, and this gave me enough time to race back inside the pyramid and grab that comic book from the altar. The second I had it in my hand, the kids stopped moving and just stood there. I didn't need Spidey to tell me. I wasn't setting foot in any of those new elevators. So I started the long climb up the cliff. All things being in my favor, my elevator would be there to get me back to civilization. The climb seemed to take hours, but when I reached the top, I saw the elevator like some long-lost friend. I got in, punched lobby, and waited. 
The bell rang, the door creaked open, and there was the familiar bad wallpaper, the night clerk at his post, and the front door calling me out into the cool night air. The comic book, teacher's edition, tucked into my coat pocket, I all but ran down to the library, which, of course, was closed for the night and locked up tight as a drum. That wasn't a problem for a guy like me who'd grown up in the Lower East Side and learned most of what I knew in the streets. Using a little tool I'd picked up from a dentist buddy of mine, I walked into the library like I owned the joint. Spidey was nagging me in the back of my mind about how easy it had been to grab that comic and run. But who was I to question these things and how they played? At least I wasn't chalking up the wind to my magical prowess and cool expertise in a jam. Sometimes a guy just gets lucky. You keep telling yourself that, Spidey seemed to be saying from somewhere. Taking the stairs two at a time, I stood at the librarian's door, which was slightly ajar. Do come in, Mr. Enfield. The librarian's voice purred before I even knocked. He was sitting at his desk and stood up to greet me. I see you have it, he said, not seeing, of course, but already knowing, like he knew everything. The librarian was unusually morose, and it set my hackles up. I took out the comic book and tossed it on his desk, like he'd tossed the kitty version of my lap at our last meeting. I thought I'd been dreaming, you know, after I first read that thing, but I guess not, huh? I said, trying to lighten the mood. What are dreams, Mr. Enfield? He asked with a sigh. Before I could answer, he waved me to silence with his hand, a gesture I was all too familiar with. He stared at the comic book and shook his head. His face was unreadable, a deathly gaunt and skeletal mask that was all too real. Best stash that thing under lock and key, yeah? I said warily. And who was that guy? The one running the show in there? He human or something else? The librarian tented his fingers and watched me. Not a hint of a smile on his lips. And that kind of spooked me. I'm afraid you don't fully understand, Mr. Enfield, but then how could you? You see, I won't be holding on to this particular volume myself. No? I asked. You will. What? Oh, no, no. You're the librarian. I'm just the bag man. The gopher. The schlep. What the hell am I supposed to do with this thing? I'd broken out in a cold sweat. It seemed like all bets were off, and the sort of workable arrangement we had was going up in smoke. Let me explain. Please, I said, sounding more desperate than I liked. You see, Mr. Enfield, this is the only book in all of creation that I should not, under any circumstances, have in my possession. Therefore, I must keep it close at hand with someone I trust. Why? What gives? I thought you had all the juju to control these things and keep them out of circulation. Spidey was strangely silent, which could be a good thing or a very, very bad thing. I do, except there are extenuating circumstances in this most antique and extraordinary case. But don't worry, I shall fully contain this curious tome before you take it away and secure it in a safe place. Now watch and learn, Mr. Enfield. 
Watch and learn. The librarian stood up and went to the back of his office and returned with a black glass pyramid about the size of a football and set it on his desk. Open it, Mr. Enfield, and if you would be so kind as to place the comic book into the pyramid, I shall see to other matters. Puzzled, I stood up and did as he said while he took some brown vials from a leather case on his desk. Excellent, he purred, a bit of the old sardonic gent returning as he smiled. Then, one by one, he opened the vials and poured them over the comic book. When the librarian had emptied all the contents of the last vial into the bottom of the pyramid box, rich, dark blue flame leapt up and burned slowly with an oily, fragrant glow. We watched in silence until the flames died, leaving only a dark ash in the bottom of the box. Then he shut the lid and drew a knife. Your hand, Mr. Enfield, if you please, he said, not unkindly, a gesture that took me by surprise, and I did as he said without a peep. He cut the pad of my thumb until it bled, then pressed my bloody thumb all along the opening edge of the box. There. Now no one can open it but you. And don't worry, blood unwillingly given has no power. That it does is a myth that fools and the eaters of blood profess to believe. So, uh, that should do it, right? It's destroyed? How come I gotta stash it somewhere? It's not that easy, Mr. Enfield. You see, this isn't the first time this bothersome little volume has been burned up and secreted away. Its owner has a thoroughly uncanny penchant for resurrecting it. But I have an idea for keeping it away from prying eyes and minds for a very long time. Okay, so just where am I supposed to stash this thing? What do you mean by a safe place? Not that two-bit hotel. I didn't want this thing anywhere near me. The reason being that I wanted it bad. Real bad. Burn up or no, it still had its hooks in me. Or mine and it. (laughs) No, certainly not your hotel. (laughs) I have a very special place in mine, but I'm afraid you'll have to find your way there on your own. No one can tell you how to get there. You just... Well, you get there when the time is right and there's no place else for you to go. Fair enough? He said, staring down at me over the top of his wireframe glasses. I guess it'll have to be, I muttered, taking a deep breath with that here-we-go-again feeling. I'm afraid so. I sense, however, that you have burning questions, (laughs) he said with a laugh. Perhaps I might answer one or two small ones to ease your flagging spirits, he said like an old woman teasing a kid with sweets. You're wondering about our charming Miss Ward, he continued, his eyes widening with mirth when he saw my face at the mention of the girl. I sent Miss Ward to watch over you on your adventure. You're too new in my service to send you into the lion's den without someone following your progress and stepping in, if the need should arise. But not another word about her for now. And be warned, 
Miss Ward shall be no more forthcoming than am I if you seek to draw back the veil of mysteries before their time. <laughs> All right, I said with a snort. Fair enough. So, like the gin in the lamp, I grant you one last question, he said, sitting back in his chair and looking at me with that strange way he has. I already asked you, who was that guy in the pyramids? If he's so high and mighty, he's got you scared, I began, but he cut me off as he brought his fist down hard on the top of the desk. I jumped and almost bolted for the door. Don't be a fool, he bellowed. I'm not afraid of him. Far, far from it. There is more to worry about than fear, Mr. Enfield, and I sense quite strongly you know exactly what I mean. Did the book not call to you like a siren, and did you not of your own free will answer it? The wave of the large skeletal hand ensured my continued silence. Don't bother denying or admitting anything. The reason I may not hold the accursed thing in my custody is because its author, the man you encountered in the pyramids, has some personal connection to me best not revealed just now. Continue to do as I instruct and all will be well. Veer from the course I set forth and, for your sake, Mr. Enfield, should you think to veer, it would be best we sever our association now. When the way lies open for you to entrust the pyramid to my agent who resides in that place, you had best make haste, for to linger or fall back from your task would constitute a very great veer from the path set out for you. Now, good day, he concluded, then tented his fingers again and closed his eyes. I picked up the glass pyramid and turned to go when something popped into my head, and I spoke without thinking. That guy in the pyramid. You know him. You know him real well, don't you? I said. It was a statement, not a question. Mr. Enfield, he roared without looking up. Good day. I turned on my heel, then bounded up the stairs, a spring in my step, and a smile on my face. Yep, I said to myself, dusting my fingernails against my lapel. Oh, Frankie Enfield's back in the game. The Private Collector was created by Aaron Vleck and Daniel Foytek and features The Librarian, created by Nelson W. Piles. Music for The Private Collector was provided by Nico Vitese of We Talk of Dreams. Today's episode featured the voice talents of Daniel Foytek, Nelson W. Piles, and Addison Peacock. For more information, show notes, and links, find us online at thewickedlibrary.com and follow us on Twitter at thewickedlibrary. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.